0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Please Bear With Me podcast. As you know, I started this podcast simply for fun. I never anticipated that it would mean anything to anyone, I just wanted to be able to express my thoughts on Baylor football and have some folks to banter with every now and then. Amazingly, many of you have listened and most of you have subscribed, and as a result, This show has taken off in a way that I never thought it would. With that in mind, before we begin episode 7, I have some very exciting news to share with you. I've been approached by multiple websites and people who've wanted to hire me as a writer or buy out my podcast, and this last week, I signed a contract with Scout.com's Bears Illustrated to work as part of their team. Now. I signed with Bears Illustrated primarily for two reasons. For one thing, they really like what I've been doing with the podcast, so nothing is going to change about the format, the runtime, or content of the show. You'll continue to hear my take on Baylor football, great guests from all over the place, and fun little bits every so often to spruce it up. Secondly, and this is what's really exciting... The podcast is going to move from a football podcast to a full-blown Baylor athletics podcast. When I began the show, I only really wanted to do it through football season. I anticipated Please Bear With Me as a seasonal football podcast, with Season 1 being during Baylor's 2017 season and Season 2 picking up next August for the 2018 football season. But with the support of Bears Illustrated, this podcast will now be a year round endeavor. We will continue our weekly schedule during football season. And after the final game, we'll move to a bi weekly schedule that will have us covering Baylor basketball, baseball, softball, track and field, football recruiting, or whatever else may come up during the football's off season. I will also be on staff as a writer for Bears Illustrated, publishing articles on occasion when I have the opportunity. Again, This will not change a thing when it comes to the podcast, but it's a huge milestone for me personally and a great chance to grow the listener base for this show. And so I want to say a sincere thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for the shout-outs on Twitter. Thank you for making this possible. So here we go. For the first time, Bears Illustrated is proud to present, please bear with me. Let's jump right into the football talk. Here's the good, the bad, and the ugly from Saturday's loss to Kansas State. The good. Denzel Mims is still playing really well. You heard me question Mims on the first couple of episodes of this podcast. I just didn't see it. He was tall and fast, sure, but had several bad drops in the opening couple of games, and I just didn't know if he had what it would take to be an elite receiver at the Big 12 level. Well, against Kansas State in Manhattan, he proved that he does. His huge game against Oklahoma was no fluke, and Mims went out against Kansas State and played another exceptional game, easily being the bright spot on offense. Look out, maybe, just maybe. Denzel Mims is the next great Baylor receiver headed for the NFL. Props to Denzel Mims. The bad. Once again, the run blocking was pretty bad, y'all. This offensive line clearly needs a lot more experience and really needs to get off the ball quicker. Now, we did see improvement in the second half as the scheme changed and the line just seemed to become stronger as the game went on or maybe the Kansas State line was just getting tired but nonetheless the rushing unit struggled again and most of this has to do with the offensive line play I'm really hoping that we see a fix this season but the reality might be running the football just might be tough this season behind this inexperienced offensive line The Alley. burning a red shirt of a very promising young quarterback to put him in for two unsuccessful rushing plays. I can't begin to tell you how upset this made me, the way that we just burned Charlie Brewer's red shirt like it was no big deal. And speaking of which, that takes me into my opening rant for this week. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about a cultural phrase or some old wisdom, right? Passed down through this phrase, don't burn bridges. You hear that all the time, right? Well, today I want to talk about another iconic cultural phrase that's been around for a while, and that's this. Hindsight is always 20 Hindsight's always twenty-twenty, And it's very true in sports. A lot of the times decisions are made We don't know if it was a good or a bad decision until we see the outcome. And fans can react really poorly to some of these decisions and just think, oh, that decision was awful. But of course, if it had played out the other way, the fans would have raved about it as being bold and daring, innovative. A great example of this was in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. You remember, Seattle's like on the one-yard line, A touchdown will surely win the game against the New England Patriots, securing Seattle's second Super Bowl with Russell Wilson. They've got Marshawn Lynch, the best power back, certainly of his era and one of the best ever in NFL history, lined up. And the thought is, conventional wisdom would tell you, you hand the ball to the big man, let him punch it in. That's a sure touchdown, right? But what did Seattle do? Russell Wilson dropped back, tried to throw a quick slant to the outside, and Malcolm Butler of the Patriots jumped in and made a great interception, a great defensive play. Now, I can tell you, would I have handed the ball off to Marshawn Lynch in that situation? Absolutely. But I can also tell you that nine times out of ten, that pass probably works, and Seattle probably scores there. But, unfortunate for Seattle, and fortunate for Patriots fans, Malcolm Butler made a heck of a play on the ball. And so, everyone is outraged. Why the heck would you throw that when you've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield? Why wouldn't you take the sure thing? But honestly, it's pretty likely Marshawn Lynch could have gotten stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Highly likely, no. But again, I would also argue that it wasn't highly likely for a young cornerback, Malcolm Butler, to make the interception he did. And so, fans, we say, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, Because looking back at the decision, of course it looks like a poor decision. Of course he should have given it to Marshawn Lynch. But in the moment, that quick slant on the outside might have been the right call. I'll use a play from Saturday's game as an example of hindsight being twenty twenty. Connor Martin comes in for his first punt because Drew Galitz is left with an injury, and it's 4th and 1, and it looked like the offense wanted to stay on the field, but the TV cameras clearly showed rule saying punt, 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 and they ran Connor Martin out there for his first ever collegiate punt. The punt was not a great one. It didn't have very good hang time, and as a result, the Kansas State return guy ran it back, and Kansas State had great field position on like a 30 or 40-some-odd yard return. Don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it was a great return. And that's a decision where it's like, well, we could have gone for it on 4th and 1. And hindsight says, yeah, we should have gone for it on 4th and 1. Just like Seattle should have handed it to Marshawn Lynch. And in this case, maybe that's true. Maybe we should have gone for it on 4th and 1. But I can give Matt Rule a pass for punning in that situation. Because how is he supposed to know... There was going to be a great return on the ball. Just like I'll give Pete Carroll a pass when a lot of people won't. Because how is he supposed to know that a young cornerback would make an incredible interception on the goal line? But sometimes I'm not going to give a coach a pass. Sometimes hindsight is 2020, but foresight should have also been 2020. And obviously, I'm really upset. That Matt Rule chose to waste a red shirt on a potential future star quarterback. A guy who you've heard me talk in episode two in particular of this show about how great I think Charlie Brewer is for the future of this football team. And Matt Rule seemed to want to throw it away for two plays? There are several reasons this decision was incorrect from the beginning, and there are several reasons that foresight in the situation should have been 2020. First of all, there was some early reaction on Twitter that "Oh, Zach Smith must be hurt." Zach Smith must be hurt, and even when Zach Smith trotted in after two plays off, everyone was like, "Well, maybe he was hurt, and they didn't know." And if that were the case, you could have ran Blake Lynch or Terrence Williams or a walk-on quarterback out there to take two snaps, okay? But that aside, Coach Rule reveals in the press conference afterwards that had nothing to do with it. He simply was trying to spark the run game. So there's no excuse for putting Charlie Brewer in. Zach Smith was playing a heck of a game. He was 12 for 14 when he exited to make room for Charlie Brewer to come in for two plays. There is no reason you take a quarterback out in that situation. Zach Smith has even proven this year that he is capable of running the read option if you need him to. Is he the mobile athlete that Charlie Brewer is? No. But is he capable? Absolutely. So I don't understand why you pull out your starter, who's playing a heck of a game, to try Charlie Brewer. And second off, and more importantly, and this is, this is the thing I just can't get off of, it, it was very clear to anyone who's watched football for a long time, or even a short amount of time, that Baylor's woes in the running game have nothing to do with who's carrying the ball. Nothing. They have everything to do with that offensive line and the youth and the trouble they have getting off the ball. Terrence Williams didn't suddenly forget how to run the football. That guy's a 1,000-yard rusher. He's a great running back. John Lovett showed us flashes, even in this past game. He didn't suddenly forget how to carry the football. What was Charlie Brewer going to accomplish? What was Charlie Brewer going to accomplish? Coach Rule put Charlie Brewer out there to run two read option plays behind a line that couldn't hold back Kansas State the entire game. What was he going to accomplish? Matt Rule not only burned Charlie Brewer's red shirt, but he set him up to fail in that moment of the game? There was nothing productive that came out of that possession? And I'm sorry. There are some of you who are defending the move on Twitter, and you just need to open your eyes. There is no reason Charlie Brewer should have been in that game. Some of you defend it by saying, well, Matt Rule was talking about playing him at some point anyway. To that I say, yeah, if he needs to play, let him play. If Zach Smith gets hurt, heck, it's Charlie Brewer time. If Zach Smith had been 4-for-12 instead of you know, 12-for-14 in that moment you know, maybe putting in another quarterback to spark the offense isn't such a bad idea. But to justify that move by saying I was trying to spark the run game, geez, I don't know. I really like Matt Rule. I really like this staff. And I am, as many of you are, hashtag trust the process all day long. But in that moment, I lost a lot of confidence I had in Matt Rule as a football coach. Maybe that's too harsh, and he could easily get it back. Trust me, I am on the Matt Rule train. But I don't understand the move in the least. Again, if Zach Smith is struggling, put the backup in. If Zach Smith is hurt, put the backup in. If the run blocking was great but the running backs were just having trouble hitting the hole, I might understand putting Brewer in to try to spark something. But there is no good, logical, justifiable reason for burning that red shirt. I think Charlie Brewer is the quarterback of the future. Whether that's before or after Zach Smith leaves campus remains to be seen. But either way, he is certainly a good player, and will be the starter at some point. And I can't help but scratch my head and wonder how Matt Rule feels about the future of this program. If he's going to potentially waste a future starting quarterback's year for two plays. So yeah, sometimes we have to look at things in hindsight. And hindsight is always 2020. But other times... When it comes to some decisions, use some foresight because, with some decisions, foresight is also 2020. This was a bad decision before it was made. Today, my guest to look at the Baylor game against Kansas State and look ahead to the future is Peter Pope. Peter Pope helps run Our Daily Bears. He is the host of Our Daily Podcast, and he was fantastic. So please enjoy this conversation with Peter Pope. Okay, Peter Pope is my guest on Please Bear With Me. Peter, first question and the obvious point of conversation after Saturday's (laughs) game because so many fans seem either really upset or really nonchalant about it. We burnt a really, really promising quarterback's red shirt for two plays that, by the way, both went for negative yards and seemed completely unnecessary. Um, what? What's your reaction to what we did tr- Trot and Charlie Brewer out there Saturday?
1: You don't have very strong feelings about this, do you? I
0: have very strong feelings about it, but I'm asking for <laughs> yours.
1: <laughs> no, I, you know, okay. Uh, my initial reaction was what what are we doing like and then I was like and I think I tweeted this as as it was happening there I had two theories immediately the second theory I think had had been debunked by the time I actually hit hit send on the tweet which was that Zach Smith was hurt that was my second thought theory my first theory was they're trying to do anything they can to get the running game going which I think he said after, that That Rule said after the game. Yeah, he did. And if those are the only two plays that he plays all season, I hate that reason. Sure. I hate it. I hate it. Um, Elliot Coffey on the 1660 uh, fan, postgame fan forum yesterday produced another theory, which was that they think that there's a chance, a non-zero chance that Zach Smith is either shell-shocked during the season or injured because of the hits he's taking and you know maybe he gets injured and if he does they don't want to throw a true freshman out there that has literally zero experience against Oklahoma State or Texas or TCU I mean some of these guys with some you know we've got some big offensive big defensive lines who are going to be coming after him so they want to get him some in-game but, reps to do that.
0: But does does two play, two plays, no. Peter? It wasn't like he got a series.
1: No, that's the that's the flip side of it. Is that if if that's all they're gonna do, I, well, I was and it's just.
0: It's still mm. we were in the ball game, you know. It's still a tight game. Zach Smith was playing a heck of a game, you know. As completion percentage wise, he was on the money. I just do I don't understand the timing. I don't understand the thought. I don't get it.
1: I, I wish I could disagree with you. I, I really do. I wish I could say I have a logical reason for this that I that makes sense to me. And I just don't because I was thinking the same thing. I mean, Zach at that point was I mean, I think he was perfect. Or yeah. like or six or six of seven or something like that. I mean, he he was throwing the ball I think, really I, well. I think he was twelve well. of fourteen when they put Brewer in. Twelve of fourteen. I mean, and it was an obvious attempt to get the running game going, but it was so obvious that it was obvious to K-State too. And that first play on the keeper, like his his keeper, the offensive line is going the other way. The defensive line goes with the offensive line. All of the linebackers are like, oh, the quarterback has the football. Let's follow him and tackle him for a six-yard loss or whatever it was. I mean, it was, it was just like, Can we come up with a better play for him to run on his first snap as quarterback? My main point
0: was, and was it not obvious to you, ball carrier was not the issue in that game. Offensive line versus their defensive line, was it right? I mean, Terrence Williams didn't forget how to run the ball. So I don't, even if you're trying to spark the run game, I don't think putting in your true freshman quarterback is going to do it.
1: Well, and running him laterally. Like that yeah, was the yeah, thing yeah. when we ran when we ran vertically, we actually had success in the right. run, running game. Great point. But all of this, let's run it to the numbers. As soon as we abandoned that, we started moving the football again in the second half. It was, I it, it was maddening. I mean, we come out of that that fumble recovery, and what do we run? A jet sweep, and we lose six yards. first and ten from like the twelve yard line that is quintessential quick slant to your inside to your slot receiver for a touchdown down like that's it that's what you do in that situation and so the fact that they were running a jet sweep it was just like come on man yeah, <laughs> yeah i at the end of the first half i was furious i was right. absolutely furious at the end of the first half the second half i felt like did a lot to Assuage that anger because we saw them adjust the game plan on both sides of the ball and aside from a a really bad snap and a a punter that that uh, like he's not a punter yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly can absolutely be forgiven for for muffing that snap right like i mean that's that's the difference in the game so so here's here's my
0: follow-up question about brewer and then we can move on is is this not unnecessarily jeopardizing in some way his future i mean i mean you essentially took away a potential year as a start if you think he's a if you think he's a guy that can be a really good start in the big 12 and i do and you have a guy in zach smith who's played great for two games is it not jeopardizing the future of of, is that not it seemed like a panicked response Rather than a measured response by rule.
1: Well, I would agree with you, except for the fact that rule has been saying from the day that he announced that he would that Charlie would be the backup that he's going to be looking for for opportunities to put him in the game, and I think he's been signaling to us that this is going to happen. Um, as far as whether or not it's throwing away a a year, if these are the only two plays that he plays this year, I'll agree. But I also, I also will take a wait and see approach on that, because what if they do this thing where they redshirt him as a sophomore, and they have you know if if let's say Gary Bohannon or Jerry Bohannon, I don't I don't know if you if it's Gary or Jerry, if he ends up signing with Baylor, which is far from certain at this point, what if he was the backup as a true freshman? I mean, <laughs> I think that's a particularly bizarre way of doing things, but. Not a lot about this season has been not bizarre. So Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't understand all of the logic behind it. But at this point, I I haven't ever coached a down of football. And so in that sense, I have to say I don't understand it, but I have to hope and trust that the coaching staff has a reason for it and has a plan. And the thing that makes the most sense to me is the threat of losing Zach Smith and having an, a completely unprepared uh, Charlie Brewer in the backfield that said like i mean your counterpoint to that is perfectly valid that yeah those two snaps don't really do much to prep him but it may be a signal of things to come
0: sure okay so we now that we've gotten the brewer thing out of the way what what was your overall reaction and takeaway from the game against Kansas
1: state <sighs> I mean, there's there's absolutely frustration because of the first half, and and especially, I mean, I guess the first half in general, but but the the second quarter to be specific, and the way that we were, we're not going to abandon the run, but we're going to do it in the least effective way possible. It felt like with this with the jet sweeps, and the you know toss sweeps, and the options, and just not, I. Mean, terrible blocking, missed assignments left and right. I just, it was frustrating. It was like, okay, simplify, make it, make it so that let's run, let's run downhill. Let's get our offensive line getting pushed forward instead of having them pull, doing a lot of pulling and, and, you know, and trying to get, I don't know, get creative with it. But that said, we saw a lot of that in the second half. And what i wanted to see after that terrible first half i saw in the second half which was adjustments at halftime the defense came out and looked solid the offense came out and had some big plays they got mims involved in the in the passing game started spreading it around a little bit more john lovett had that amazing yard uh, amazing rush which i can't remember the long time that the last time that we had a 74 yard rushing touchdown i mean was it Lake sea strunk or was there somebody in between him did shock get any i don't remember <laughs> like it's i'm having a hard time remembering maybe
0: linwood against tech
1: yeah like two or three I years think, ago yeah i had a dex henton came over and, and hung out with me for the game and i think he said the same thing i think that's who he pointed out and yeah that's i mean that's the most recent that i can remember so but here's
0: as good as that particular run was, and indeed we saw improvement in the in the second half, it's still f- scary to me that we got our two touchdowns in the second half on a big on the big play again. And I'm frustrated that we can't seem to sustain drives. My question is, what what changed between OU and Kansas State? Because I feel like against OU we had that it looked like we had finally figured it out how yeah. to get the ball out on short to intermediate routes, how to move the ball consistently, sustain drives. And it was like we forgot how to do that a week later. And I maybe I'm wrong. I don't think Kansas Kansas State has a good defense. I don't think they're that much of a better de- squad than Oklahoma's. How, why did it seem to take such a step backwards?
1: Well, I'll tell you this. the Statistically speaking, the most disruptive unit of the K-State defense is their secondary. So their cornerbacks and their safeties, they're absolutely the most disruptive unit of that group. We're having trouble establishing the run with our offensive, with our offensive line. We, that's why you didn't see it against Oklahoma. But Oklahoma's, their secondary is, from that disruptiveness, from a havoc perspective, which I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Connolly on SB Nation and his uh, havoc numbers. It's basically the percentage of plays that are either passes intercepted or broken up, uh, tackles for a loss, fumbles forced. I think are the three things that go into it. And Oklahoma's defense, from that perspective, from were were one of the actually the weakest units that we've faced in the secondary and K-State's unit was the best that we've faced from that perspective. So, it was a strength on strength with our passing game against their their defensive unit or against their defensive backs. So that's part of it, and I think the other part is the fact that we weren't doing what, you know, what worked in the rushing game by going downfield. We saw that in the second half. They got traction with that. Even on, you know, even outside of love seventy-four yard run, they were able to get the ball moving, and it was nice to see. Okay, we're finally, we're finally moving the ball downfield on the ground, and it was a good thing to see. But I, I also think the third thing that goes into it, and Elliot Coffee and I talked about this last week on on our daily podcast, uh, that the emotional component of losing a game like Oklahoma and how big of a game that was that a letdown factor is for real and I think we saw that in the first half of the game there was a you know there just seemed to be they seemed to be sluggish uh they seemed to be a little bit lethargic and then whatever you know whatever they whatever pep talk they got at halftime seemed to work because both sides of the ball came out and looked a lot more motivated and looked a lot stronger
0: it, would you give any validation or consideration to the thought that I see a lot of fans having that perhaps we need to move over to Glenn Thomas either calling plays or having a hand in that
1: I don't know I I think that's a really hard thing to say when I'm not in the booth right yeah (laughs) you know it's one of those things where it's easy sitting in the comfort of our living room to say this looks like a terrible call but at the same time I mean, he's in his first year calling plays, uh, Jeff Nixon is, and I, I have gotten to that point at points in the season where I'm like, maybe this isn't the best thing. And then we go out and we see an Oklahoma game, right? We see that it was incredibly well executed. The game plan was great. The play calling was fantastic. And I also, I probably would be more inclined to say yes to that if I hadn't seen adjustments at halftime and if we continued to see the jet sweeps in in the second half but we we didn't we saw uh higher percentage runs we saw them running downfield a lot and I keep using that phrase using downhill but <laughs> it's true right and so i'm like i don't want to go there yet i don't want to i, I want to give the guys uh, the staff as it is currently assembled a full season before i would i would Call for that job unless I see something that's just so bad. Like if they hadn't adjusted at halftime, I might not have been as. I, I probably would be a little bit more, like less hesitant to 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 jump on him at this point. If that makes sense.
0: No, that's that's totally fair. Another very specific question about offense, but it's just <laughs> an observation I've had. I think all season, are we trying too hard to to get Tony Nicholson involved? <laughs> I mean, well then just and just back to your example about all the jet sweeps and the listen, the guy's fast, the guy is athletic, he's still working on improving his hands. Hopefully that comes with time. But it feels like we are just forcing him the ball in situations where it's not gonna work. Um and I, I feel like that's one of those things where and this is again completely an armchair observation, so no no insight or validity to this most likely, but it almost feels like as a, as a fan watching the game that Matt Rule got to Baylor and saw Nicholson run a 40 and said, we're going to do whatever we have to do to get him the ball 10 times a game. And, and sometimes it's just not the best idea, Peter. Are we trying too hard to force something that isn't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I... Like I know, <laughs> you're you're one of the guys that that isn't in love with Tony Nicholson. I,
0: I love I love that he's fast. I think he's a good return guy. Put him back there returning the ball. I wish he'd return kicks, not just punts. But I he has not shown me anything to make me think he's an off a dynamic offensive playmaker.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, at this point, without Chris Platt, I think you got to look wherever you can, and yeah Denzel Mims is obviously the number one I, at this point. Like I he have a solution. absolutely learning. I
0: have a solution, but he's playing defense right now.
1: And with good reason. Like he's been playing really well at cornerback. And it's like <laughs> I mean, you remember what happened against Liberty? We had an entire secondary that was playing in their first game in their in those positions, including Blake Lynch. And he was the bright spot of that entire unit. And he's only gotten better from there. And I think when Matt Rule says, I cannot afford to pull him back onto the offensive side of the ball, I take him at his word on that. And so, yeah, I, I like as much as I'd love to see Blake be able to take snaps on both sides of the ball, I think we need him way more on the, on the defensive side than I do on the offensive side. And I think that Tony Nicholson has the raw talent to get there and they wouldn't be trying to get him involved if he wasn't showing them something in practice that demonstrated that he was capable of doing it in game situations and now for all the, as for all the jet sweeps <laughs> i mean i'm i, I can't go there I, i'm with you on that like it just wasn't working and it just felt like it it felt too much like an attempt to beat K state at their own game instead of yes. being who we are
0: yes totally agree with you
1: and that's just the thing. Like I think because this team is still sort of trying to figure out its offensive identity, there may have been a little bit of that feeling. Like we want to out K state K state, but don't just be Baylor, be who you are. And yeah, we're still figuring that out, but still that doesn't mean that you have to be somebody else. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thought there. And I, as far as nicholson goes i want to see him involved because i want to see that progress i just i want to see growth out of him too though like i want to see him start catching the ball i want to see his hands start getting better
0: and and i'll give give him credit i'm not trying to just completely rip the guy he made a couple of really really clutch nice catches both against ou and kansas state so i i think he's certainly capable it just if like i said it feels like we're trying to make him into a Percy Harvin and he's not Percy Harvin, right? I mean Yeah. And he's not Corey Coleman and he's not, you know, he's he's just a fast dude trying to learn how to play receiver. Um so anyway.
1: Well yeah, and I mean I'm optimistic. He's a what he's a sophomore, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, he's got time for sure.
1: I and, and that's the thing about this whole team. Like, two years from now, how awesome is, how awesome are they gonna be? For sure. Like, that's gonna be a lot of fun, but we're talking about today. <laughs> For sure. So
0: So you mentioned, you mentioned the secondary, another personnel decision that is mystifying to me on top of Charlie Brewer and on top of too many touches for Nicholson, perhaps. Why do I continue to see Davion Hall more than Tayon sells, Peter?
1: More than Tayon sells or Chris Smith? Miller, Chris Miller. Miller, Chris Miller. Thank you. I'm like, okay, because, it's a... Because coming.
0: there was another long run yesterday that he just completely whiffed.
1: Yeah. Well, and the one that I... The one that stuck out to me was the first possession of the game where K-State, there they schemed it perf- perfectly. They sealed the edge and then, I mean, they blocked off uh, Taylor Young and it was basically Davion Hall took a bad angle. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking and, that's the
0: one I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, and it's it basically set up their well, I mean it, it ended up helping set up their uh their eventual touchdown. There were a couple of offsides calls in that in that drive that didn't help either, but but yeah, that's I mean that's the thing. It's it's I don't know. And I'm I hate criticizing players because I didn't I played As a sophomore in high school for one season, exactly, yeah. But and and these guys are working their tails off, and I don't know what's going on in practice. But what I what I do see is I see those, I see those bad angles, I see missed tackles. He ended up getting the tackle on that play, which I was I was glad for. At least he did circle back around and get the tackle instead of giving up the play. But I don't know. I mean, I I don't know why we see him and, over Chris Miller,
0: and that's another guy. And it's and it's this is all, you know, fan talk and conjecture. And it's way too yeah. late to practically do this at this point. <laughs> that's almost another guy, though. I wish we would just say, "Hey, man, let's let's put you in the slot and and get you some catches on offense." Because I, I like Davion Hall. I yeah. love Davion Hall as a dude. Like I like that he came to Baylor when he could have played at Alabama. I like that he stuck at Baylor through. thick and thin yeah I like Davion Hall I just it it, it's a it's a pattern
1: and I think that I think the the reason that we don't see him getting catches is that's his decision and I he apparently went to the previous coaching staff and said I want to play defense and they didn't want him to at first and then finally they let him last year And so he's continued on that side of the ball this year. I think that he is much more comfortable on that side of the ball. And what I don't know, and this is something you'd have to, we'd have to ask Elliot Coffey or, you know, somebody who's played is how much you can teach the decision-making that it takes to take the right angle to like, okay, here's your guy. You know, the the running back is going to hit this hole and he's going to be going this fast like you know simple geometry stuff right like what angle does he need to take to intercept the ball carrier and minimize the gain you know there was the there was the third touchdown against duke where the guy just a stutter step just completely threw him off and killed his angle and it was like okay
0: But it's it's coaching, but it's also is it not just also a a, an instinct thing? Because Clay Johnston, Taylor Young, Eric Gore, you know, you go backwards to Bryce Hager, you know, those guys just seem to know where to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. That's what that that's what makes me wonder if there is a way to coach that because it seems so instinctual and it seems just one of those things that you see. On the field as it's happening, and you take the angle you're supposed to take. And it's like he overestimates or, you know, overestimates what his angle is supposed to be. So he's running too far downhill and then he has to change direction and then he's playing catch up. You know, 20 yards later, he finally catches up with the guy. Yeah, I don't know. And I wonder if it's his size and his potential for disruptiveness that keeps him back there because the dude is a monster. Yeah, no doubt. And has the, I, like you you just hope that he figures it out and I'm I'm kind of thankful for the bye week for that reason like we're going to have some time to rest and to get this the offensive line and the defensive line just some like okay, breathe for a little bit. And now let's work on some stuff that we wouldn't be able to work on, you know, just in a game week. Got an extra week.
0: That was actually my next question: Is what do you think? How do you think they use the bye week? Is is it is it restful? Is it go go hard and teach teach teach? Uh, is it is it two weeks straight on preparing for the Cowboys? How are how is Matt Rule going to approach this bye week?
1: That's a I mean that's a great question, and I think that you're going to get a bit of all of that. I mean I sure. think you're going to have you're going to definitely have some rest. It, 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 there, I think there will be a lot of teaching that happens. There's going to be a lot of reviewing the mistakes because, I mean, you look at each of these games that we've lost, and every single one of them have been close. Every single one of them has been a a play or two either way. And this is a different game, and we're talking about a team that's five and zero instead of zero and, o and five, which is the weirdest thing
0: that's kind of the game of football though don't you know is it's it's about the little moments it's the little things every single game that's what makes that's what differentiates you know an Alabama where you've got a a detail-oriented control freak like Nick Saban with with teams that are so precise versus you know uh Tennessee yeah who just got blown
1: out right well and that's absolutely true and and that's why you look at those games and it's and, it, it, you know, I saw an article, I, I forget, maybe it was Diehards yesterday that was talking about the second half, Baylor's second half woes cost them, like, they're unable to get it done in the second half. My thought was, they didn't lose the game in the second half, they lost the game in the first half. Well, game, there were some big I mean,
0: moments in the second half that kind of continued okay, to the, tilt.
1: Well, the one... the. The one that I say that we can control was that snap, was the bad snap. But have there been a ton of bad snaps? No, there have been some low snaps. There have been a lot of low snaps. But we got a tight end snapping the football to our quarterback. (laughs) I mean, like that there have not been any bad snaps up until this point, kind of like we've been kind of blessed in that regard. So for me, I mean, yeah, some of the things that happened in the second half made it, you know, definitely continued the trend. But the first half of that game is like, if we take care of business the way we did in the second half in the first half, those mistakes in the second half, aren't as big of a deal. And I think we, I think we win that game because we're not playing catch up against, against K state, which is the place you don't want to be. You want to be ahead in that game and you want to force, you want to force Bill Snyder to play your brand of football. And he made us play his, and that's how he beats us. So, I think that they'll look at those things this week and start talking about okay, how how do we get on, you know, get on the the right foot from the start instead of having to play catch up? Because, I mean, that's been that's pretty much been every game except for I guess Duke was we had the the quick touchdown and then nothing for a while.
0: At at what point do we put this? whether you want to call it seeming seeming unprepared for the start of games or seeing like there's no energy or lack of motivation do at what point do we just start saying man these coaches have to change something they're doing
1: I mean again (laughs) I don't know that I like Dex my friend that, that was here yesterday tweeted a few weeks ago that these coaches have a get out of jail free card that sits in my pocket for this entire season and I absolutely agree with him on that like if there's a change in philosophy, you know, for what they do in the first, you know, to change up the openings of games, like I don't know what you do to that. I think we ex- I expect to see it against Oklahoma State uh, just because they have two weeks to prepare. And so I want to see a team that comes out of the gate hungry and ready to punch somebody in the mouth. Yes, because that's what we need, especially against Oklahoma State. So I, I think there will be a lot of review, a lot of teaching. There's going to be work on that. I think the they will be emotionally prepared to play that game. And really, I think that's part. That's a real big part. I don't I don't want to underestimate for this K State game is th- the emotional letdown that came from that massive game against Oklahoma, which was just I've never been. So, like, okay, I'm I'm good with what I saw on Saturday at a loss. That was a fun game. Like, it was fun. And it was, like, I left as about, about as happy as you could be given the outcome. And so, I mean, I think there was a bit of a letdown there, and there was a little bit of an emotional lull that happened in the first half against K-State. So, I, I don't want to see that again. Like, I don't want to see that again at Oklahoma State. I want to see them emotional. I want to see them fired up and ready to play. So, yeah, um, it rules an interesting guy like he's his press conferences thus far have been really intriguing to me because there are moments where he's just brutally honest and he'll just tell it like it is with, oh, this player's not seeing the ball or he's not doing whatever we want him to do. And then there will be other moments where it's like, you know, like, for example, with injuries, he has. We don't even know what Chris Platt's injury is. Yeah, he, nobody's told us what or, it is, or
0: what's going on with Ish Wainwright,
1: or what he has mono.
0: Oh, okay, there you go. I just didn't I, know what was going on.
1: That I don't know that he's said publicly, like from the from the podium, but the the beat reporters have have told us that that's mono. And that's and not fun. No, and that I mean. That's why it takes a long time to get over that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's knowing the, that, I mean, I was really worried. I thought there might have been something else going on, but knowing that, that makes it that makes me feel a little bit better.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, me too. I was like, "What is happening?" And then somebody was like, "He has mono." I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm with you." <laughs> so, uh but yeah, it's it's this weird sort of he's you know, very forthcoming and then he's he plays it coy, and it's really intriguing to me and I it's got me, I, I, I kind of stay on my toes listening to his press conferences about it. And, you know, there's some of that with, like, performance and practice and who's going to be starting and, and that sort of thing that, I mean, there's a little gamesmanship there, I'm sure. But I, I, I'm really interested to see how it goes with this with this bye week and see what kind of information we get about the team. I, I really think that this is a, a, it's a really kind of a pivotal moment in the season because we're getting to the point where, look, I mean, nobody's going to expect us to beat uh, Oklahoma State and probably West Virginia. I, like, and you start you start getting those losses piling up, and let's say we lo- if that happens, you start worrying about the 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 mentality of the team and whether or not it starts wearing them down, and they start, you know, mailing it in for lack of a better term. So i I would be a lot more worried about it right now if I if we didn't have this bye week for the team to recoup, to regroup and recover just a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm encouraged by that, and I hope that they really take advantage of these two weeks and uh, regroup and really come out strong for the second half of the season. Even though I guess second half isn't doesn't really start until after Oklahoma State, but you you follow.
0: Stillwater is a really hard place to win. I was there in 2013, so I have experienced that <laughs> firsthand. What do you expect tactically against Oklahoma State in a couple weeks?
1: I mean, th- this is going to be a really interesting game. I think it's more of a it's more of an Oklahoma style game than it is a um a K-State. His you know, you've got Oh gosh, now I'm totally drawing a blank on their quarterback's name.
0: Mason Rudolph.
1: Mason Rudolph, thank you. I'm Pro- like,
0: probably in my opinion, and I want to know if you agree, probably the best arm talent in the Big Twelve right up there was Zach Smith, yeah.
1: I yeah, I agree with you. I mean, at this point, Mayfield, he's good, but his arm isn't as good as as Mason Rudolph's, I think. I think you're right about that. They have looked flawed though in the past two weeks. They I, they not-
0: almost lost in Lubbock yesterday.
1: They almost lost in Lubbock is a weird place, man. They still went to Lubbock when I was in school and I'm really glad they don't now. I see a lot of fans saying, when are they going to end that neutral site thing? Let's start having a ho- another home game every year. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go to Lubbock. I grew up in Abilene, which is about two and a half hours away from Lubbock. And so my freshman year in college, I went to that game and And like the stories about people throwing tortillas and batteries and all of that, they're they're real. And there, it is a crazy place. And Lubbock after dark is on game day. It's just not a fun place to be. So I'm okay with that. But as far as Oklahoma State goes, you've got James Washington. You've got a, a really talented core of receivers who will test the crap out of our secondary. I mean, I think <laughs> win the toss, get the ball, score a touchdown fast and make them. And then, or, you know, maybe, maybe you control the clock. Like if you can, if you can get, and I don't, I don't haven't looked at their stats to see what their offensive or their defensive line looks like. But if you can, if you can establish your running game against them, do it, you know, play the the runaway and hide card and uh, keep the ball out of Mason Rudolph's hand as, as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I mean that we'll see. and I'm definitely gonna be getting into that game in a lot more detail over the next you know 10 days or so. But yeah, I, what I really want to see is is you take the crowd out of the game quick uh, because that crowd is is crazy and it's like literally on top of the field <laughs> almost. One like, of the,
0: one of the crazier atmospheres I've been in for for a football game for sure.
1: Yeah, well, especially that 2013 game because it was it was freezing and yet it didn't single digits, matter. man.
0: I was, ugh, awful. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and oh, what would have been? What could have been? Don't go there. That. Don't go there. Yeah. Uh yeah, man. That <laughs> I was so glad we got that win in 2015. When we went up there, I, I had no expectation of it whatsoever. And the fact that we went in there and got that W was like, hey, this is fantastic. <laughs> like, So at least we got that monkey off our back. And that's the thing. like, I didn't feel like the staff was particularly intimidated by K-State. And the two places that I don't like playing are Manhattan and Stillwater. And if they're not intimidated by Manhattan, I think they'll be fine in Stillwater. And and it's unlikely to be a night game, just because we're zero and five. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I like I think the atmosphere will be. Of course, it'll still be Stillwater, but I think that it will be manageable. And if they can do things, I mean, when they when they were coming back in the second half, you know, after Lovett's touchdown, that Manhattan was dead silent. And it was beautiful. And if they can do the same thing to to, to Stillwater and to Boone Pickens Stadium or whatever it's called, I, I'm I would love to see it. And I think that then they would have a real shot at that game. So I, I think they have shots at pretty much all of the games they have left on their schedule.
0: Heck yeah, yeah. Peter Pope, <laughs> spectacular man.
1: Scotty, I thanks for having me on. It's been a real blast, and I'm loving seeing what you're doing with this podcast. It's it's a lot of fun to listen to, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to more hot takes. Keep those up.
0: I'm gonna have to let uh, my friend Michael Bartlemaids the one that came on for those Bartle takes. I may have to let him know you you gave a shout out.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that was great. Like <laughs> I really enjoyed those. That's good. That was hey, a lot and you know
0: what? And that and that's not to get into another five minute conversation, but that. That is why I, I started the podcast because I missed bantering with my friends like Michael um, yeah, in the exact way we tried to portray last week. So that's that's awesome that you enjoyed. No, that. that's
1: and, and that's I mean, that's the thing that, that I love about podcasts the most is yeah. when it feels like a conversation and me as the person driving down the freeway with the podcast on in my car feel like the third the silent third person in the conversation oh yeah like i you know those are the best podcasts where i find myself talking at my radio and going oh yeah i'm not they're not here with me yeah exactly. no that's not what's right no it's oh yes that's the good point okay there exactly you know exactly so yeah so and and you guys had me doing that last week so i i really i really enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to more perfect thanks so much man absolutely absolutely
0: That will do it for this week's episode of Please Bear With Me. For those of you who want more Bears in the NFL segments, I promise they'll come back next week. But We had a lot to squeeze in today, and I appreciate you listening. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bearsillustrated.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to be a VIP at Bearsillustrated.com. This podcast is hosted and produced by myself. Music was created by Travis Thompson. I want to give a special thanks to Tim Watkins and Jeremy Wilson. Thanks again to Peter Pope for being today's guest. I'm Scotty swingler and this has been
1: the Please Bear With Me podcast. See you next week.